guys. So uh, I got the first class. I'm excited about the class this morning. Let me do this. Let me get some names here and then put some names uh, to the faces. Uh, Marty Domain D. Mon- Monty, M-O-N-T-Y. Monty Degrees. Degrees. Okay. We should actually just, hey, good morning. Would you sign your name in? Right there. Right there. Uh-huh. And I'll get you a book. We good? Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. And um, and this is your book. You keep that for the remainder. Um, anyway, so let me, let me do this. Let me go ahead and get the, the roll call, and I'll get it back to you. Let me get everybody's name. So Monty and Cherise, uh, Timmy Crochet Sr. Okay, good. Carl Rose Rosenberger. Is that Jewish? That's Jewish. Oh, Rosenberg. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's for the old people who remember that. And I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, Allison Thompson. Good, good. Uh, Jeremy Thompson. Good. They call you JT? Really? How would I guess that? That was anointing of God. I feel it. <laughs> Brian Foray. Good. Stacy Foray. Good. Good to see you, girl. Uh, Maggie Voisin. Good to have you, Maggie. How's my boys doing? Good. Them boys. <sighs> they, her twins, she's got twin boys, and I'm having to do this, believe it or not. They're awesome guys. Oh, yeah, trust me. Awesome family. Amy Plaisance. Amy, good to see you. Good to have you this morning. Katie Scott. Woo. Okay. Uh, Kathy Scott. Mom and daughter? Okay, which is the daughter? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Just like, what? Uh, let's see. Colleen? K-A-L. Oh, Katina. Okay, Katina. Yeah, wait till you get Katina. How you spell it? Hey, DeMello? DeMello. Okay, that's not your mood that you're in, huh? Okay, all right. Mercedes Davenport. Mercedes. Well, you've heard some things about that kind of car. Davenport, good. Casey Nakan, good. Um, Isaiah, no. Who's the last one came in and signed in? What's your name? How did I get Isaiah out of that? Well, that's all right. Yeah. Okay. Get you a book right there. And what's your name, Mom? Will you give me first name? Rose. I'm going to get this one right. It's a beautiful name. And what's your last name? Johnson. Oh, you made my job so easy today. Rose Johnson, I got you. You got a book. And first name? Huh? Constance. Spell that. C-O-N. A-N-C-E Johnson. Good. Okay. Well, if you didn't know, I'm Freddie Fry, Pastor Freddie, Coach Fry. For, I don't care what you call me. Just don't ever call me late for supper. You know, that's, that's just my thing. Um, we're excited to have you here. Why are you here? You are here simply because learning in terms of God's word should never stop. 
I know it's called the Foundations 101. Uh, many of you have a great foundation of the Word of God in your heart. But the, the learning never stops. It never stops. It should never stop. And the reason why we form these classes is because when people come into uh, the kingdom of God for the first time, not so much the church, but the kingdom of God to get saved, they need a great foundation. And not only that, they, people need to know, well, what does this church believe? Not only what we believe, but why do we believe it? Because I, sometimes I believe when we ask questions and we get answers, sometimes we need to question the answers. And God don't have a problem with you questioning his answers if it's going to lead you to a deeper understanding of his word. Amen? If it's going to lead you to a, a greater seeking and a, a, an asking and a, a consistent knocking. Because God wants us to be what? Constant. Amen? He wants us to be consistent and seeking after him because he said the... Oh, I'm sorry, i got to fix this. Only the diligent seeker gets the blessing from the Lord. Not the casual seeker. Those who go after him. Those who are hungry for his word. So, with that being said, I am privileged to have you... At the, for the first class, um, and we're going to dive right into it. But let's go ahead and pray that God will open up our understanding, that God will just fill our hearts with truth, and that we will be open to that truth. A lot of times when you hear truth, truth begins to challenge the different compartments of your mind and your intellect and your worldview. Because sometimes what we think is true or truth may not be truth until we're confronted with not a truth, the truth. Because the word of God is the truth. It's not a truth. If we say that the word of God is a truth, that means it is a, it's a, it's a truth among all other truths. And that's not true. Amen? It is the truth. Now, the world struggle with that, but it is what it is. So let us pray. Father, I thank you this morning that as we begin this class, you will open up our understanding of mind. Thank you for these, your sons and daughters, who desperately want to know you who want to know your word, who's seeking after you with their whole heart. And Lord, as you have promised us, the diligent seeker will be blessed, that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. It is our desire, Lord God, to fulfill your desire for our lives. And Lord, that we will walk in the truth of your word, that your word will perform. Lord, you said you watch over your word to perform it, and it will prevail. And for the purpose that you have sent it, it will accomplish the purpose and the season that it was sent. I thank you for all of them. And God, I pray that you will give me wisdom, knowledge, understanding to be able to teach your word with clarity. That I will speak those things that are true but under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we honor you and we bless you for everything you're doing in their lives. Transform our thoughts, our hearts, and our minds that we may reflect your glory in a world that does not know you. That wherever we go, we will make an impact and a mark that could never be erased. Father, we love you. We honor you and we bless you for these, your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, ready? Let's begin. Let's begin. Normally, some people say, well, where, do we, where should we begin? Well, obviously, we're going to begin in the beginning. I heard a statement um, I heard a statement from a pastor, and it was so profound that it just stopped me. Because how many of you hear truths all the time, but sometimes you let it go in one ear, come out the other. But there are times when you hear a, that truth again, and it just it sticks with you. He made a statement. It says, the most profound, most important scripture 
in all of the Bible. Of all the 66 books, the most important scripture is Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created. And he says, if you struggle with that one verse, close the book, because none of the rest of it will make sense. None of it will make sense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if we're going to look at a foundation, um, we got to start from the beginning. Okay, now let's look at it. Go ahead and open your books. We'll just sort of be reading from this. Now, one of the things, let me just share with you right now. I am a very interactive teacher. That means I teach, you listen, you teach, I listen. Anytime the Lord gives you something and he drops it in the course of man, throw your hand up in the air and wave them like, no, no, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong, wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Get your hand up. A lot of times when we're going through our teaching, the Holy Spirit will inspire, the Spirit will call, call some, uh, uh, an, an event or an experience that ties in what the truth that you're learning. Man, get that hand up quickly. You know, I've been teaching 30 years. This, this coming year will be my 31st year of teaching school. Uh, I know I don't look like I've been putting that kind of time in, but, yeah, I've been teaching and coaching for 30 years, and I absolutely love teaching. If you would have asked me as a teenage boy growing up in New Orleans, uh, what was the one thing that absolutely I would never do? Coaching and teaching was it, number one on the list. And right below that was preaching. I grew up in a home of my dad who's a pastor. He is a bishop. Uh, in a full gospel Pentecostal background. That's what I have. And I've seen incredible miracles. I've seen demons cast out. I've seen people raised from dead blind. I've seen all that as a child coming up. And so growing, growing up as a child in New Orleans, you know, God had marked me. And I was just trying. Mama, I was running. I was running. And I told God when I got to high school, I don't want to preach, man. I'm going to go play college ball, and I'm going to go play in the NBA. God says, okay, I'm going to let you go play high school, let you play college. But when it's over, I'm going to dry up the well. And he did. And he did. And he says, now it's my turn. I'll let you shine for four years in college. Give me my time. And I sort of stuck my finger in my mouth, and I said, God, I ain't preaching because I was mad at God. I'm like, no, I want to go play. You, you, you. And God just sat there. He just let me pout. You know, I went to church, played keyboard. It's like, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to play, and that's it. And God just sat there and was like, okay, when you finish sulking, you're going to do what I told you to do. And I got over it. I had to put on my big boy pants. And I got over it. And I have found that what God has for you is for you. But more importantly, you make your plans. But the plans of God always prevail. And it is so much better than your plans. So much better. I absolutely love teaching. So I know how to chase rabbits all over the place and get back to the original hole. So you will never throw me off or whatever. I know how to go over across the street, go around the corner, come right back to where we were. Okay? So whatever God gives you, let us have it. Okay? Amen. Let's begin. All right. The found foundation in the beginning. Okay, I got to watch my tigers roll. The other thing Chuck wanted me to remind you, normally in times past, whenever you miss a class, he would actually make a recording of the class and put it on the disc if you wanted. But now they're putting all of the lessons on the uh, Living Word Church website. So if you happen to miss it or you need to go back and, and revisit what we taught, you can do that. LivingWordHomer.com, I think it is. Am I right, Chuck? Excellent, excellent. If you really need one, okay? All right. All right. Why lay a foundation? The foundation is the most important part of any structure that, that is built. Without a proper foundation, the integrity of the building is what? 
It is jeopardized. So it is in our lives, unless we build a solid foundation, our lives will be open to attacks of Satan on our foundational beliefs. There is an onslaught, uh, onslaught and an attack against absolute moral truth in our country. Our country is saying it doesn't exist. Our culture said absolute truth does not exist. And if you believe that, you're stupid. And then they make you feel stupid if you believe that. Absolute truth is under, uh, there's an all-out assault against it. But again, we know God is eternal. His truths are eternal. Long after we gone, he said the, the, the grass withered and the flower faded, but the word of our God lasts forever. It will be here long after you and I are gone. It was here before we got here. And so it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a man who built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it, and it did not fall, for it was founded on what? On a rock. But everyone who hears the sayings of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and, do, and don't do them, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. How does God describe a man who builds his house on foundations that shift? How does God describe it? He called him foolish. He says, you are foolish if you think you can live your life apart from the truth of God's word. Wow. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. What was the end result of that house built on sand? (laughs) You know, what's interesting about this particular parable is that both houses were built by the same man. Both houses experienced the same storm. But they didn't have the same end result. One house fell, the other one didn't. When you look at the life of a believer, you can have two people, okay, two siblings growing up. One, both of them experience the same thing in the same family. One, all of a sudden, here's the son or daughter that now gives their life to Jesus Christ, navigates to the truth of God's word, allow the truth of God's word to prevail in their lives, and here's the other sibling just go the opposite direction and while they might be success have some success their lives are just messed up their relationship with their spouse is horrible the children are struggling he's struggling on his job he may be struggling with pornography i mean just how is it that one is doing well has issues but doing well and the other one's struggling because the other one over here is choosing to build their lives on things that shifts the philosophy of men shifts and changes with the whims of man. God's word is eternal. And we cannot base our lives on anything but that. Okay? The winds and the rains of, of this life will beat on both houses. It did. The rain of this life will beat on both houses. But only the house founded on the word of God will actually stand. All right? To lay a foundation, we must start where? At the beginning, every single one of us in our relationship had a beginning with something. Every last one of us has a story about how something all began. Okay? Now, in order to lay the foundation, we must start at the beginning. We must answer the question of what? Origin. Origin. How does this all begin? Where did the universe come from? How did it get here? Where was it created? Or when was it created? Why are we here And how were we created? Now, let me ask you. You see these profound questions? These are deep 
philosophical, profound questions that you and I have asked of ourselves and maybe was inquisitive and asked God at some point one of these questions. But I find interesting that nowhere in the animal kingdom do you ever find animals asking these deep philosophical questions. You will never walk in a barnyard and see chickens asking questions. Oh, where do we come from? You'll never see that. They go about doing their thing. They trust the process of God. God feeds them. But what is it about man that asks questions, where did I come from? Why am I here? Because inside of each and every one of our spiritual existence is a God hole that's looking to be filled. And until we know it's God who needs to fill it, we're going to fill it with cheap substitutes, jobs, careers, money, house, fame, fortune, relationships. Oh, I hate to be the one to tell you, but that one you love so much, they can't satisfy you. Not the way Jesus can. Not the way Jesus wants to. And so we'll, there is this quest Why? Because God put it inside of us to search him and to know him. And we're never going to be satisfied until we come to the point where we clearly understand who created us and what we were created for. And until we find the purpose of why we're here, life becomes one experiment after another. You allow people to take you and drag you all over the place until you find why you were created and what you were created for. First of all, we must begin in Genesis if we're going to look at origin. I teach a worldview Bible class and one at, at Homer Christian, uh, ten, grades 10 through 12. I'm the Bible teacher there. And one of the things that I find is interesting is um, you can take in our public schools from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. They have eliminated in their science class and history class all but any acknowledgement of God being creator of life itself. Now, can you imagine, I don't know how many of you, and probably all of you have gone through public school from K to 12. Let me see, just wave at me, K to 12. Okay, let me ask you a question, and it's it's been almost 18, 19 years since I've stood in a public school classroom. Was there at any point in time in any science class you've ever had from kindergarten to 12th grade, was the name of God or Jesus being creator of all this ever came up? Anybody? Okay, so can you imagine the struggle that all of a sudden as a 22 year old, you hear for the first time you wander in a church like this and somebody tell you that this all began in Genesis chapter with God creating all of this and the world is not billions of years old. Can you see the struggle that that young man or young woman is going to have when they hear truth for the first time because they thought what they heard was true? I've come to understand and know that because of the situation we find ourselves in, I am very sympathetic and loving of people who really struggle with this God thing because they don't know better. That They have been indoctrinated. They have, the world is indoctrinating our children and, and, and literally teaching God right out of the picture. So with that being said, it is imperative, imperative, the directive of teaching children the biblical truth must start first at home. 
You cannot rely on the church of pastor. All we are called to do is to reinforce what you're teaching your children and your grandchildren. If you have children in public school, it is imperative, imperative that you've got to counter the culture with the truth of God's word. And if you are a young person in college or you've already graduated out of high school or a young adult, and all of you are young adults in here, You've got to make sure it is imperative that you stay in places like this or any church that will teach you truth. Because the truth of God's word will always counter the culture. Amen? It will always counter the culture. It says here, we must begin the beginning with origin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. This is foundational to all our beliefs as Christians. This is what we believe here in the living word. God is the source of what? Do you really believe that? God is the source of all things. Before God created the heavens and the earth, there was what? Nothing exists without God. Can God exist without us? Mm -hmm. Can we exist without him? (laughs) We can try. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Our best effort still fall short in the eyes of God to perfect ourselves. Wow. The foundational, the, the fundamental truth of our faith is that we are not a result of a cosmic accident. Can you imagine living under that cloud, that philosophical cloud that's been taught you? Well, you got here by random chance. Two people got together and just, oh, there it is. What that tells me is that man greatest wisdom, but to God. That's what he tells me. Can you imagine living under this cloud that you are a cosmic accident, that you are a mistake? Wow. Can you imagine what that will do to you psychologically, mentally, emotionally? Because then if you truly believe that, the enemy has the ability now to wreck your life and wreck every relationship you will try to form. Because every mistake you make, he will say it's your fault. And you will never be able to hold on or be able to be successful in any phase or any area of your life. Wow. But that's what the secular humanists and the cosmic humanists want us to believe that we're all just here by random chance. Now, Psalms... 139, 13 through 17 gives us a beautiful picture of the purpose that you are purposed by God and purposed by design. Man, I've always wanted to be seven foot tall, 217, 220, 230, 240 pounds. Seven foot tall. I've always wanted to, well, I almost got there. I'm 6'5". I fell a little short. You know, man, I was in college, boy, I, 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 tell the guy, I tell the guys all the time, I said, man, I was in high school at E.D. White, I graduated from there, I was 6'4", 155, I turned sideways, you couldn't even see me. I mean, razor thin, I couldn't gain weight if you put a weight vest on me. Got to college, you know, playing college ball uh, at 6'5", 140, 150, 160, 170, the most I've ever weighed in college, 170, now I'm 225. I said, where was all this at when I needed it? Every last one of us see ourselves, man, I wish I was this, I wish I was taller, I wish I was shorter, I wish I was lighter or darker or slimmer or whatever. That's always something, and that's nothing with improving yourself. But you, one thing I want you to understand, you are who you are, we are who we are by design. Now, I'm going to let you in on some very 
intimate details and some very areas of some going to navigate some areas of my life that you just just need to know. I'm very open with who I am. As a kid growing up, I was born in 1961 in the city of New Orleans. And as you know, race relationship was very difficult in this country during the 50s, 40s, 50s and 60s. And for a long time, I struggled with the color of my skin because of the things that I saw as a child. My mom never knew this. I come from a family of 10 kids, five boys, five girls. Here's used to call us the Black Brady Bunch. You know, I come from a large family. And I just, I struggled, you know, with who I was, the self-esteem. And then not to mention, you know, the reason why my family moved out of New Orleans, I almost got killed three times in the city of New Orleans as a child at the hands of people. You know, one time I did something stupid, but it was just being, when you're young, you're stupid. And one day, as a 10th grader, I, my mom had no idea that morning I got up. And I was in church. I gave my life to Jesus Christ as eight, eight, going to church. But having these internal struggles because of the culture telling me that you were inferior. And mom had no idea I'm going to church, loving God, but just struggling with who I am. And I got up that morning and decided this pain had to stop. I'm a 10th grader at Nichols High School. So I caught the public service bus. Didn't know. To this day, I can't even tell you what it feels like to ride a yellow school bus. My life has always been public service bus, even at the kindergarten. So I got, I got there, long story short, and I just decided, you know, that afternoon in my American history class, I'm going to slip out, go to the bathroom, and walked off the campus, walked up Canal, uh, uh, St. Claude Street, sat on the bridge, and was getting ready to, drum, to jump. I was tired. Just Mom had no idea how her second oldest child was getting ready to take his life. I said, God, if living was this painful, dying must be a whole lot less painful. And it was a cloudy day. And when the enemy takes your mind, you don't think. So I'm standing there, ready to just take this leap and jump in the Mississippi River. I mean, they would have never found me. I'm looking at this one. No, I can't swim. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever been outside on a cloud, a very thick cloudy day, and the clouds part and, and the sun breaks through the clouds. That's, a, that's just amazing. But all of a sudden, I heard this voice like, you hear my voice right now. And it says, I love you. Don't do this. And for one moment, I thought somebody stopped the car. This is broad daylight. Cars zooming by. Nobody's stopping. And I said, somebody must have, somebody loved me. And I turned around to see who it was, and there was nobody there. And when I turned around, this ray of sunshine shot through this cloud and hit me in the face. And I went, wow. Now, for some of you, that was just clouds and sun. That was a God moment to me. God literally came to my rescue because if I had fulfilled that, you would not see this guy standing. It would be somebody totally different. You wouldn't even, there would be no Freddie Fry, no Nadine, no Nate, no none. And all of a sudden, I knew my heart connected with that voice. And it said, if you don't jump, I'll show you some things I have planned for you. Great and mighty will be my plans for you. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't. My life has been amazing. It has not been without pain, but it has been awesome because of God. What did he do? He reminded me of the purpose of my existence in the moment I needed to make sense of my existence. If you're waiting for someone to, to define who you are, to talk you up, forget it. It ain't going to happen. Not in this culture. That's why I believe when you walk into an environment like this, man, we, you ought to walk out, walk out of this place. Man, I love that this place is amazing. People love you. They talk you up. Man, it's just, I've never been in a place like them. Never been around people like this. Because we're supposed to counter the culture. Sometimes it's difficult to give people what you never got. Sometimes it is difficult. 
And I get that. But God said, in order for me to give for me, for you to give them what they need, I've got to give you what you need. You can't lead where you won't go and you can't teach what you don't know. So we are by design. I look at the color of my skin like, man, there's a lot of people stay out in the sun trying to get this. <laughs> this is awesome. This is great. You are by design. If God wanted me to be short, white, and fat, I'd have been short, white, and fat. (laughs) I am by design. Mom, you are by design. You are by design. You are by design. You are by God's design. And God does not make mistakes. He doesn't. You are the perfection, the picture of God's perfection. Yes, you are. You got to believe that. You have to. This is not some jack-up statement trying to get you hyped up. It is a statement of truth. But because we have allowed people to talk negative, and we grew up on the clouds of, 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 of negative talk, and people just criticizing, and, and you were never part of this group because you weren't pretty enough, or you weren't athletic enough. And so you grow up with that, believing that lie, and it has become a cloud and a shadow over you, stopping you from being everything God has intended for you to be. But I break those curses spoken over you in the name of Jesus. Today, it stops. I break every negative word spoken over you today in the name of Jesus so you can walk into your destiny and fulfill what God has designed for you to feel from the day you were born and conceived. I break every negative word spoken over you in the name of Jesus. It's not your fault they did that to you. They just didn't understand you. (laughs) I'm supposed to be teaching. Let me bring this thing down a little bit. Look at Psalms 139. This is to verify what he says. I'm going to move on because we got to finish up at 930. Psalms 139, 13 to 17. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet in uh, unformed, unformed, And in your book, they all were written. What was written? The days fashioned for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me. Oh, God, how great is the sum of them. I want you to take that scripture, type that out, print that out in the biggest font you can get it out. And if you're struggling with yourself, put it everywhere you're going to go. Think about what that is saying. God skillfully and masterfully formed you and shaped you. I'm sorry someone walked out of your life. I'm really sorry as a little girl, little boy, they tease you. But they didn't understand the gift that was standing before them. They didn't understand and appreciate the gift. Isn't it interesting that what one person throws on the corner, somebody drives by and like, I need that. I would need that. Thank you for throwing it away. I need that. 
So when they throw you away, all they're doing is pushing you into someone who will look at you and say, I need you. Thank you so much. That's what that means. I don't hang around people who don't appreciate the beauty of what God has created. (laughs) That has nothing to do with the way I look. It is the essence of who I am based on how God sees me, not how you see me or how I see myself. Did anybody hear me this morning? Check one, two. And we spend so much of our time trying to please people who don't matter. To all my young people, do you hear what I'm saying today? To every woman in here that has ever been bruised and wounded by a bunch of girls who hurt you. You are a daughter of the most high God. A princess to the heirs of the kingdom of God. How dare you let them do that to you? How dare you let them do that to you? The queen of England, she has a daughter. She's a princess. You think she worried about what the people think of her? (laughs) No, no, no. My mama is the next heir to the throne. My granny runs all this. You think they were? No, no. To every man that had ever felt that he was never good enough to make a sports team or to hold that job and somebody else kept getting the promotion. That you weren't the favorite son in the family. How dare you let them do that to you? How dare you let them do that to you? You are a son of the most high God. Heir to the promises of eternal life. Don't let them continue to do that. Even in holding it in your heart, let it go. Let it go. Because you are by God's wonderful design. (laughs) When you walk in the mirror, you're going to see something different. Because everything has changed on the inside. Everything has changed on the inside. Thank you, Jesus. We believe that an all-knowing God and an all-loving God created all we see, including you and I, for a what? The major flaw with the theory of evolution is not taking into consideration the complexities of creation. That's the major flaw. They know basically how everything got here, but they can't tell you how it began. That's the major flaw to evolution. They can't, they don't know where to begin. They don't know how to, because in order for them to articulate the beginning, you have to find something that created this, a cause, if you will. They can't account for a cause. We can. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who does what? Suppress the truth in what? Their unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifested in them. Wow. Every single person that ever ever confessed that God is not real, They have to really contend with what's on the inside because God has manifested in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. He said nature in itself speaks volumes of this eternal God that either we're looking one day to spend time with or trying to figure out. Creation screams at us. What causes the sun to rise and set? How is it that gravity is so strong that it can hold clouds, create, hold the tides, but not pull down the clouds. God's chemist, chemistry laboratory, he can take a brown cow, eat green grass, and produce white milk. Only God can do that. 
Only God can do that. Being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead. So here is the indictment against every single person who choose to acknowledge that God is not real. They will be without excuse. Wow. Although they knew God, this is what happened. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, vain, and absolute idiots in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. How do we know? What was the characteristic of a darkened heart? They professed to be wise, but they became foolish, became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Romans 1, 18 to 23 just gave you an indictment against humanity because of what humanity has been doing. Humanity has been suppressing the truth of the existence of all of this and the existence of God through unrighteousness and were, were not thankful and chose not to glorify God as creator. And because of it, the Bible says their hearts were darkened. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a totally dark room. It's hard to navigate in a dark room. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's hard to. And then the, sometimes when you're walking around a dark room, you catch the edge of that bed or that dresser on the corner of your toe. Ah. Ooh, blessed be the name of the Lord. At that point, when you hit that toe, you just need to start speaking in tongues. <laughs> you don't want nothing else coming out. Like, God bless America. <laughs> God, the PMO careful. <sighs> With God as creator, watch this, at the center of our worldview, the way in which we see the world around us changes. So what is a worldview? A worldview is a way that we view the world. It is our perspective on things. And what happens, can I borrow your glasses for a minute? Okay. What happens is when we don't have truth of who God is in light of all of this, our vision of the world around us becomes skewed. Whoa. Whoa. And we don't see the world properly when we don't have the truth of God in our hearts. We do not see the world properly. We don't see people properly. We don't treat people properly. We don't treat our spouses properly. We don't treat God properly because we see the world skewed to matter. So in order for us to see the world properly, we must have a biblical perspective on everything that we, we see. Now, it's, it's interesting in my class, we teach four worldviews, three worldviews compared to a biblical worldview in nine different subject areas. Okay? We teach uh, secular humanism, New Age, which is cosmic humanism, Marxist-Leninism, Islam, those four compared, uh, compared to biblical Christian worldview. And there are nine different areas that we deal with. For example, theology, psychology, uh, ethics, um, sociology. And each one of those ideas basically ask a question. First of all, theology, theo. Theology asks the question, what about God? So what we do is when we get ready to talk about theology with those, five, with those four worldviews, we ask the question, 
Um, how does what is the how does the secular humanist answer the question? What about God? Obviously, their worldview is atheism. A means not. Theism means God. In the worldview of an atheist, there is no God. How does a how does a new age person answer the theological question about God? Well, they are God. Man is God. Man dictates his own future. There is nothing outside of ourselves. Islam says that there is a God, but you can never know him. And then you get to a biblical worldview that says there is a God, but he wants to be known. And he wants to take residence inside of us. And he came here, took on the form of man to live among us and died for us so that we can live with him here and there. You see the comparison? Ethics asks the question, what's right and what's wrong? You know, what is true? What's false? And so now the question is, how do you answer? How does, an, a, how does a secular humanist ask, answer the question, what's right and what's wrong? Well, since there is no God, there is no absolute truth, then truth becomes relative. You have your truth. You have yours. You're, you're right. You're wrong. So, so you can never judge me because, you know, what be, what's wrong to you, I may see it as right. I don't see anything wrong with cheating on my wife. But absolute truth says, <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a problem because God says it's a problem. How dare you judge me? You can't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. You've been judged already. See, the problem with the secular human is because he said there is no God. I'm giving you how we teach our worldview. Because the secular human says there is no God, then there can be no absolute moral standard for what's right and what's wrong. But we're seeing it in our culture. Welcome to Worldview 101 in my classroom. You see why we're struggling with truth? Because we have, we have eradicated God out of the culture. And when you remove God, then everybody's left to decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. So if I, I, I always tell my kids, my seniors, if you're bold enough to do it, then do it. If not, don't worry about it. I always give an example. For any professor that comes in and you say there was no absolute truth, you know, everyone has their own right and wrong, you know, and, and, and so, you know, what's right for you, maybe right for them. I don't know if you remember this, this show used to come on in the 70s called Different Strokes. What you talking about, Willis? Yeah, how many of you remember Different Strokes? You remember the, the theme song? Anybody remember the theme song? Well, the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What, right, what might be right for some, right for you, may not be right for some. It takes different strokes. Well, see, I used to love that, that show. Had no idea that the syndicators uh, who created that show was introducing secular humanists into our culture. Listen to the words. The world does not beat to just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. It takes different strokes to rule the world. That's secular humanism. And we had no idea. And so they put a rich white guy adopting two black kids. Oh, so nice. And they masked that into a secular humanistic thought and pushed it into our culture. And we had no idea. And we heard the song and had no idea that it was secular humanism being pushed in our culture. Now you get it, don't you? <laughs> and they and look that was the cute version today oh they're just the, our culture and, and industry is just blatant with it they don't care what you think they're just blatant with it and the number of movies and shows that is coming out that is associated with the with darkness and creatures and their obsession with the spirit realm is crazy absolutely crazy Think about this. One of the, now, I, I'm not trying to insult you if, if you're one of those, but I want you to think about this for a second. 
they Hollywood created a series of, of movies that just took the girls' hearts by storm. It was the Twilight series. Now, I want you to see this. Here was a girl who fell in love with a vampire, a half-dead person. And somewhere during the series, if he's not alive, she had a baby for him. How do you produce a baby with something that's not real? How do you produce a baby with something that's dead? <laughs> someone, someone asked that question. Well, my, my husband did it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Scratch that from the court. Scratch it from the court. Sorry, Your Honor. <laughs> but I want you to think about it. That they centered this whole movie around a love affair with something that, and made you believe that this guy, this hunk of a guy with his shirt off, and like, oh, he's so cute. He's dead. But we bit off of that, and the girls were going nuts over that. Like, I hate to bust your bubble, but vampires are not real, and they're supposed to be dead, so how does it work? Like, don't spoil it. I gotta give you truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we do some, we imagine some very foolish things in our hearts when we are left to ourselves. Look what it says here. With God as a creator at the center of our worldview, the way in which we see the world around us changes. Having a biblical worldview simply means that as Christians, we see the world around us filtered through the lens of what? Of lens, lens of what? So anytime you are struggling and you're seeing something on C, CNN, MSNBC, Fox or whatever, Filter all of what you're seeing through the eyes of God. Filter through the eyes of God's word. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw something out here. And you see, one of the things you about, you're going to quickly know about me is that there are certain things I will put my fingertips all over. There are certain subjects I will touch and put my, my DNA all over. Certain teachers won't touch certain subjects. But as a Bible teacher, I have to make sure I nail it down and give it to you straight. And my kids know I give it to you straight. There was this movement that was going on, and it's still going on, and it seemed it only surfaces when there was a, uh, a, a, a racial situation going on called Black Lives Matter. And I sat and watched that. I watched the shootings that last summer. It was crazy what was going on. Our culture was lit on fire. It was like, man, I thought we'd gotten over this, and it was crazy. So I'm sitting here looking at this, and as a Bible teacher, as a, you know, I'm, I'm just, can I just be real with you? As a black man... At a, at, a, at a predominantly white Christian school, you got to know this is, this is a pervading thoughts, not only to my black students, but it's also my white students. And at some point, you know, they desperately want to dialogue about this. So I'm like, okay, God, how do we dialogue about this? He said, just sit and listen. And I want you to look at all of this and filter this through the truth of the word of God that you teach. So I'm looking at it, uh, and I'm praying, and, and it came up. Boom. It came up in class. And I had to take a step back. I said, give me 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, we're done with this. Some of you are not going to be very happy with what I'm about to tell you. Some of you are going to be like, wow. But this is the truth from God's word. Okay? Now, the thing with all black lives matter, I understand what they're saying. Okay? And I look at that. I understand what they're saying. But as a Bible-believing teacher who understands Genesis 1 and 1, and I understand what Jesus did on the cross, from a biblical perspective, all lives matter. 
That is not to diminish what, what I know what they're saying, but from a biblical perspective, all lives have to matter. All of it. Because if we don't take a biblical perspective on it, we're going to racially divide not only the culture, but also churches. Because one of the most segregated days of the week is Sunday. See, I told you, I just, I just poof, she's straight from the hip. So if all of a sudden I start saying only this, man, that, man, then it's possible that I will not be able to give good news to people I think don't matter. And I, as a minister or as a Christian, as you as well, we're called in the Great Commission to give, spread the gospel to who? To who? That means, mom, there are going to be some people that look like him, that God put on your heart in the supermarket. You need to tell him about Jesus Christ. Tell him about your Jesus. And you have to be careful because his life matters too. And you have to be careful because her life matters as well. Do y'all feel me? Okay, I'm done with that. You just need to know. Yes, sir. Jesus was confronted with a racial situation with the woman at the, at the well. How is it that you being Jewish? Racial. Ask me a Samaritan. Racial. For water. Because we don't have anything with it. Y'all don't like us. We don't like you. Jesus was confronted. And Jesus never dealt with that. He said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for another kind of water. He never said, well, I understand. You know, y'all got y'all side of the street. He never dealt with that. He kept it spiritual and dealt with it and gave that girl what she needed. Gave her what she needed. That's how we engage the culture. And I challenge my students. If you are spewing the same hate that the culture is spewing and under the name of Christianity, you need to check your Christianity. Okay, let me move on. <sighs> Y'all still love me? All right, all right, all right, all right. And I tell them all the time, we all get to heaven. Well, the day I'm rejoicing, ain't going to be no east side heaven, south side heaven, west side, and, you know, and north side. You know what I'm saying? Ain't going to be no gangster hanging off the corner of the street. And he God said, I'm not doing that. Because the real us is the spiritual part. It's not male nor female, black or white, Asian or Indian. We are so like God. But he made us by design on the outside because of the beauty that we get to glorify God and the way you look and the way you look. Dude, I'm so glad I don't look like you and you're so glad you don't look like me. And I get to enjoy the big sexy. I love it. When I look across this, this room, I see the glory of God in your faces. If you can only stand here and see what I see. It is amazing. I love this. I don't even like looking at myself sometime in the mirror. you imagine if I had to see you every day looking at me the way I look like? Oh, come on, God. Is there any other variety I can look at? Yes, I'm looking at it. Yes, sir. <sighs> I wasn't going to say that. Let me move on. <laughs> wow. Watch this. With God at the center of our understanding of creation, every area of our life is impacted. Did you see that? I want you to read this with me. Ready? Read. With God at the center of our understanding of creation, every area of our life is impacted. Now, the word our, take that word out and put my. We're going to make it personal. Ready? Read. With God at the center of my understanding of creation, every area of my life is impacted. 
So if you want to impact your life and change it, then you have to put God at the center of everything, of your philosophy, your worldview, how you see things. You have Now, uh, you just need to understand that when you start doing that, people are not going to like you. And you got to be cool with that because God's cool with that. I can't. <laughs> okay. What areas are impacted when we have a biblical worldview? Number one, our value of human life. God created, uh, created in God's image. When I have a, 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 a biblical worldview, I'm not going to line up and agree that abortion is, is, is right. I can't. Not what I know about Genesis chapter 1. I can't. And I can't support political figures who don't believe in the value and the sanctity of life. Boy, did I take some criticism from my family in that 19, was it 2008? No, what was it, 12? Yeah, 2012 election. Did I take some criticism from my family? See, I don't vote economics, nor do I vote my skin color. I vote biblical truth. You just need to know that. You just need to know something about me. If the word of God has prevailed in my life, I, I'm, if I've got to stand on the word of God and stand alone, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm not trying to make friends. I'm not trying to be popular. You know, I was never popular as a kid. So, you know, I'm a grown man. I'm not looking trying to be popular. But I want when I take my last breath, mom, and my life has ended and the candle of my existence has been blown out and I have to stand before the one who made my life and gave me accountability. I want him to say, Freddie, you lived your life well and you lived it for me. And you were often criticized for taking a stance for me, but well done, my son. You've been faithful. So come up and hang out with me. That's what I want him to tell me. Not that I scored so many baskets or was summa cum laude in college or was liked by everybody in my circle. I want God to be pleased, not people. Because when it's all said and done, those people don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. Jesus died for us, not your mama or your daddy or your friends on the job. There you go, baby girl. Preach that. Does that make sense? So whatever is going to be impacted, our view of human life, our view of marriage, called to display God's glory. If we have a biblical worldview, we're not going to be in agreement with same-sex marriage. It don't line up. It's not by God's design. I don't care what the culture says. It's not by God's design. We're almost finished. When we have a biblical worldview, our responsibility as parents to nurture and discipline children will be the focus. You can't let your child just run rush on to as a teach as a teacher. 30 years, I've seen parents wanting to be their child's friends. I told my son the other day, um, sometime, Nate, I would love to be your friend, but I can't. I have to be your dad. And with that being said, I'm going to make some choices that you may not agree with. And you may, you may not like them, but you know what? I'm good with that. You may even give me a look. Like, oh, that's fine. I ain't going to change my decision. But one day when you become a father and a husband, then I will be your friend. But until then, I have to be your dad. Parenting is tough. But I say bring it on. Because at the end of the day, my legacy when I die is not whether I left my children land, houses, a car, or money. My legacy to my children is their spiritual heritage. That I love their mom. That I live what they saw their daddy preach in church Monday through Saturday. 
That's my legacy to my babies. So that generations long after I'm gone, when my boys and my daughters sitting talking to their children about their daddy, their children's granddaddy, they will say, you should have met Papa. He was an awesome man of God. He was so funny. He loved people. That's my legacy to my children. Not land. They're going to fight over the money anyway. They're going to go get the money anyway. But my legacy to my children, my family, and even to my church is that I lived what I preached. I can go out and win the whole world, but if my children see me as a fraud and a charlatan, I've lost. I've lost. I've lost. Finally, when we have a biblical worldview, our responsibility as parents to nurture children becomes our priority. And finally, our involvement in the body of Christ, we are called to serve. We're called to serve if we have a biblical worldview. Why? Because Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. We're called to serve. And I pray that you actively get involved in serving your brothers and sisters in a place that they so absolutely adore you. They may not tell you. Some people may not know how to. But when you serve them and see that smile, thank you so much. That, that makes all the Because a smile is sometimes hard to find in culture today. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you and we honor you and we bless you for all that you've done. I pray that the truth of your word today will prevail in the lives of your, sister, your sons and daughters. Father, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity you have given me to teach your word, and I don't take that for granted. Lord, I pray that you will order their steps and show them why you've called them into the kingdom for such a time as this. We'll forever give you the glory and the honor. Anoint the service today, our worship team. Lord, anoint our pastors he preached. May the glory of God fill this house and needs are met for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Appreciate you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you guys on next week. Be praying for us Thursday. We'll be flying to friendly skies. And we hope the skies are friendly. (laughs) Appreciate you, Doc. Bless you.